I think it's been about celebrating the wins. I think it's been about implementing great technology that we can use to be very efficient with what we do. And definitely a lot of training and development. We do like to grow our own staff and just making sure that we're investing in their careers. Welcome to The Resilient Recruiter. This is your host, Mark Whitby, and my guest today is Aaron Devlin. If you're a recruitment leader or you aspire to be one, then you're going to really enjoy this interview. Aaron is the managing director for the state of Victoria at People to People, a fast-growing recruitment company with seven offices across Australia and New Zealand. As well as managing a team of 15 people, Aaron is an award-winning recruiter herself, a business mentor, speaker, and media commentator. Oh, and did I mention she used to be a professional ballerina? We talk about how to hire, train, and retain a team of high-performing recruitment consultants and a whole lot more. Thank you so much for agreeing to do this. You come highly recommended by Greg Savage. You're welcome. And because he did the very first episode of The Resilient Recruiter, which has been a really popular episode, I asked him who else I should be interviewing, and you were one of the top names that he gave me. Oh, so. great. He's too kind. <laughs> <laughs> He's a good guy. I, I've, uh, how long have you known Greg? About six years. I mean, I've, I've okay. known of him for longer, but as a professional relationship, about six years. Yeah. So I understand you're the managing director for People to People in Victoria. Yes, that's right. And from what I understand, the Victoria office has grown 70% year on year for three years and then continues to grow each year. So I'm you know, really interested to find out how you've achieved that. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's been an amazing journey. I, I work with a fantastic group of recruiters, but I guess it was really joining a business that had a, a great brand that had some fantastic leaders in it and then being able to leverage the, the other states. So Essentially, what happened was we launched the Melbourne office for the first time using um, the boutique agency that I had grown for, for five years, which is quite small. But we, uh, we basically merged and uh, rebranded as people to people and essentially grew the client base in Melbourne as well. So how have we achieved it? I think, I think it's been about celebrating the wins. I think it's been about implementing great technology that we can use to be very efficient with what we do. And definitely a lot of training and development. We do like to grow our own staff and just making sure that we're investing in their careers. There's a lot there we can, we can delve into. So you already had your own recruitment company, right? Yes. Devlin Alliance. Yes, that's right. And you had run that for five years. So what was the thinking behind the merger between Devlin Alliance and, and People to People? So I think uh, what People to People saw was they wanted to establish a Melbourne branch and they had been looking for the right partnership for, for quite some time. And I was looking to accelerate the growth of my business. So I spoke to a number of businesses. Uh, there were a number of other businesses that were interested in doing some sort of a merger deal. But I was really attracted to people to people's values, the leadership there. Um, Mark Smith is an amazing leader and just the potential to leverage. They were already very strong in New South Wales, very strong in Brisbane. Then we, we launched the Melbourne office and, as you said, we've had significant growth every year since then. So it's been fantastic. So how, how many people are, are in Melbourne now? 
So we've got 15 staff in Melbourne and uh, revenues of um, just shy of 10 million. Great. That's so cool. So you've mentioned a few things there, which have been leadership, values, technology, learning development, and celebrating wins. Mm -hmm. So when you say celebrating wins, how do you how do you do that at people to people? So I think we're very much an organization that plays to people's strengths and we recognize that we don't want to have a cookie cutter approach. We want to have diversity in the team and everybody is is good at different things. So we want to recognize their success at different stages of their journey. So um, you might celebrate something that a first year recruiter has done in a very different way to how you might celebrate uh, something that someone has done if they're five years in. So we do it through, I think it's the small recognition that's more important than the big celebrations and the rah-rah. You know, we do have um, celebrations if we hit a PB or, you know, one of the teams hits a stretch target, then we go out, you know, we had a spa day the other day for our legal team. Whatever they want to do, we'll do something fun. But I think it's actually the small moments of recognition and and just telling people they've done a great job or or thanking them for their hard work. On a Monday, we we highlight some of the successes of the previous week. And also on a Friday, we sit down and celebrate together and just talk about what, what was the best thing that happened and what was the most fun thing that happened that week as well. Great. I love it. What's the context for that? Is it a team meeting or? Sure. At a practical level. So on a Monday, we will um, kick off the week with with some key updates and we'll do that company wide and then and then at a branch level. So some key updates that are happening around the business um, and then um, and then we'll mention some of the, the successes. So we talk about, um, you know, how we're tracking to target, what were the placements that occurred last week or um, growth with temp numbers. If anyone's, you know, gone plus five for temps for the week and, and upwards, if a perm consultant's done, you know, three placements in a week, we'll celebrate that. And then we'll just talk about some of the highlights. Um, so it might be that someone uh, went out to it on a particular meeting and, and won a great piece of work or they had been, you know, chipping away trying to win a particular client for two years or 12 months, for example, and, and they've finally been able to place a job with that client. So little things like that. And then on a Friday, um, we'll just sit down and have a few drinks and just go around the table and what was great about the week for you, basically. I like that Friday ritual. That sounds fantastic. You're so right. You know, recognition is more highly valued. Like so many studies after studies have shown that being recognized and and feeling part of the team and so on is more motivating than even the financial rewards and, and other things. So it's so important. Absolutely. I think even at a scientific level, Mark, you know, you know, there's a neurotransmitter that's linked to dopamine, um, which is obviously released when you get a, get a reward. And basically, it's also linked to discretionary effort and motivation. So we love celebrating because it's fun, but it's also very um, important from a business perspective. People are only going to show up and want to do their best if they're getting rewarded for it. And uh, like I say, most of the time, it's not it's not usually the big gestures that have the most impact. It's just um, maybe their manager walking past or even just a senior recruiter walking past and saying, wow, I heard that call. That was amazing. How did you do that? That's the stuff that I think resonates with people more than the big gestures. Yeah. Yeah. Great, great insight. So that sounds, that's giving me some insight into your, into your culture. You mentioned something which was that everyone has different strengths and you want to 
allow people to um, fully you know, leverage those strengths. How specifically do you do that? Do people do different jobs depending on what those strengths are or how, how, what does that look like? Yeah, so we do have a pretty simple structure as far as uh, we have essentially trainee consultants and then consultant level and then senior consultant level once they hit a certain level of billings and then managers and account managers. So it's a pretty traditional model. If you're a consultant, you're doing 360. In terms of playing to people's strengths, basically, you know, you walk into some organisations and it's very prescriptive. You know, you must do this many of this and you must do this many of that. What we have is we have a guide of what we think works perhaps if you're in a business development phase and a guide of where we want to get to. So, you know, it might be depending on the stage of the desk and the market that the recruiter is in, it might be, say, a placement a week is great from a perm perspective. If it's, say, an accounting desk, we might look to have three senior accounting placements a week, for example, but five in another desk, so business support, um, with a name to go plus one or plus two a week, including your finishes and so forth. So the structure is there's some clear guidelines, but then within that, there are some people that are fantastic at picking up business and floating candidates at a meeting. And so for them, it's all about just getting the meetings and getting in front of clients, which is maybe a little bit different to the US mark, but it's um, in Australia, you definitely need to be um, going and having coffees with clients and really getting to know them face-to-face. We don't do, you know, the majority of our business starts face-to-face. But then you might have other people who are just amazing at certain things on the phone. So we've got some people that are great with picking their top five candidates and spending the whole week trying to get interviews for those candidates. And other people have uh, a better strength in winning retained business and having maybe three to five retained or exclusive jobs and working to fill the jobs that way. And they're both billing and they're both doing really well, but we don't want to be prescriptive so that we lose the strength of what they're actually really good at. I get it. So in other words, once you've agreed on the outcome that they're going after, they have quite a lot of autonomy in terms of how they go about achieving it. Yeah. I mean, we uh, we definitely have a high performance culture, but there is that flexibility and, and autonomy in how they achieve the outcome. You're right. Have you read uh, Drive by Daniel Pink? No, I haven't, but I'm now putting it on my list. <laughs> you might want to add it to your list. It's really good about what really motivates human behavior based on the most up-to-date research. And autonomy is one of those keys to having people be in that flow state and do their best work. So it sounds like you're, you're harnessing that. By the way, despite my accent, I am based in the UK, Oh, apologies. Yeah, no problem. And I'm actually Canadian, but I... Oh, Mark, sorry. (laughs) Don't worry. Don't worry. I can't... And I listened to so many of your podcasts before we spoke, and I still got that wrong. Sorry about that. Oh, no problem at all. (laughs) It's an easy mistake to make. You mentioned... Oh, there's so much I want to ask you in in the time we have available. So we might need to say this is part one and, and do another one some other time. Now, I understand you won the Professional Recruiter of the Year a couple of years ago with the RCSA. Mm-hmm. Why do you think you were selected for that award? What goes into that? Oh, look, I'm incredibly humbled to have, have won that award. Um, I think they're, I mean, they're pretty clear about what, what goes into it. There's a few components. It's, um, it's not just about, I guess, the financial success. 
but you also have to have demonstrated leadership skills and also contributed to the industry more broadly, so given back in some way. All right, excellent. Well, that's quite an accolade. That's brilliant. Thank you. What are the things that they looked at in terms of like your leadership and that sort of thing? When I won the award, essentially our our business had grown from a very small business to eight or nine million dollars by that point. So there'd been significant growth in a short period of time. We've been able to grow our staffing, basically grow a brand that didn't exist in Melbourne to that point. So we had had very strong financial success. We'd had very strong success in growing our own recruiters and also attracting quality recruiters. And I think in terms of leadership, I've been very involved with the RCSA, which is our industry body over here. You may be familiar with it, the Recruitment and Consulting Services Association. So I um, have had amazing mentors in my time and I wanted to be able to give back to the industry. And I also think that, you know, you can stand and complain about something or you can get up and do something about it. So being a part of the RCSA and being very active there has allowed me to help with things like raise professional standards in the recruitment industry, helping to have input into particular training and courses for recruiters, lobbying government, meeting with ministers, various activities like that. So that all went into it as well. All right. Wow. It sounds like you are super busy. You mentioned that your model is 360 degree recruiters. Why have you chosen that as opposed to a split desk model? Whenever I meet a a fast growing company, I like to find out like the way that they put it together, what the business model is. So Yeah, it's, it's pretty simple for us, Mark. The client wants to meet the person that's going to place the job. Okay. In, in my experience, it's interesting because we've seen in other markets, in, in international markets, split desks have actually worked. But in Australia, I can't think of a business where that model has worked. I'd be interested in your feedback as to whether there are any, uh, but we haven't seen a model that has worked like that very well. We definitely have certain staff who are more business development focused than others. What we do have is when we have new staff come into the business who are training to become recruiters, they're 100% focused on candidate management and acquisition. And so there is an element of that, I should say, but only for the first four to six months. I don't think there's a right or wrong. I've seen both models work really well. The thing I like about the 360 model is, as you say, there's complete continuity between the client and the candidate and one person who's looking after the whole life cycle. And also each person is their own profit center. So it's very clear which people are outperforming, which people need more support and, and development and so on. But that's a nice segue into the L&D talk then. So what goes into that? How do you develop someone from, you know, let's say a, a rookie into a high performing consultant? I think the first part is to, it sounds obvious, but make sure you are hiring the right person. Yeah, absolutely. It's so important to get someone that has demonstrated success in the past. So we look for people that have shown success in some sort of aspect of their life. It might be sport or academics or art or or something very obscure and, and quirky, but they've shown commitment and success or maybe they've been in a job, it might be retail or, or whatever it might be, but they've been promoted or shown that they've taken on more responsibility and that they've gone above and beyond. 
that's sort of what we start with. And there's a few other elements we look for as well. Empathy is very important, team-oriented approach, intellect, and ability to take in, interpret, and use verbal information really well because so much of our job is over the phone or or face-to-face with clients. So that's the first bit. And then when we, we bring someone on board, if they're an experienced recruiter, we still give a lot of training and development opportunities because I think one of the things that I've seen is high performers still want to be developed. You know, often the biggest mistake that I see is that businesses will hire an experienced person and then pop them in the corner and say, all right, off you go and we'll see you in five years and see if you're happy. And it's not really enough that person does want to be challenged, does want to be stretched. It's a huge mistake. I I often hear when I'm speaking to a recruitment leader and they say, oh, we hire experienced people because we don't want to train. And I think that is not the right way to do it because everybody need everybody can improve, right? Me, yeah. you, you know, we all need mentorship. We all need to be challenged and continually upskill in whatever dimension that we can currently uh, expand in. And I mean, apart from the fact that you're not going to really retain and and get the f- the full value out of your person if you're not developing them, uh, there's also the fact that if they are experienced, they've come from a different environment, different culture. And they have different ways of doing things and you want to integrate them into your culture, right? And then there's the fact that someone on paper may have five years experience, but once they start, you realize there are big gaps compared to what you, someone in your company, if they started with you and, and been with you five years, you know where they should be, right? Whereas yeah. in a different company, you can't assume that they're going to be where you would expect them to be in five yeah, years. Yeah, that's that's exactly right. And one of the things that we do, uh, and I, I might sort of first speak to the new consultant pathway, but when we do bring people into the business, we we give them some intensive training up front, a lot of a lot of intensive training, and then uh, as they they grasp certain aspects of the job, we get them to to implement aspects kind of repetitively, um, not too not in a boring way, but so that they can cement their knowledge, obviously. And then we so it's structured training, you know, sort of classroom style training, and then there's the on the job component as well. We put them through some external training as well as access to the Recruitment Juice Library, um, which is a great product that we use. And they can access that anytime. And also they will go on some of the RCSA courses. So again, our industry body. But one of the things that we do weekly, and it's it's optional for recruiters over, I think we've said if you're over two years, it's optional. But pretty much everyone attends. We just do a half hour, maximum 45 minute training session on a, a Wednesday lunchtime. And we just pick different topics. So whatever is the the flavor of the week that we need a bit of a brush up on, or that's of interest to people that week, then we, we do a training session. And what's great about that to your point before is that if you're an experienced recruiter, a lot of the learning that you do often happens by mentoring others. So the experienced consultants come as well and they I think they often enjoy it just as much because they get to share their knowledge and their experience on various topics. And sometimes that's formal where they'll actually run the session as part of their development, their leadership development, and sometimes it's more informal. So I might be running the session and they'll contribute their knowledge as well. And we also have a mentor program too. Oh, cool. Wow. 
there's a lot going on there. If I may be so bold as to offer a suggestion, I don't think the lunch and learn should be optional. I think that sounds so valuable for everybody because as you say, the experienced people, I mean, we can all always brush up on the basic skills, right? My nephew is a paratrooper here in the UK and now he's in, in the United States and he's going through some kind of special forces training over there. And they are always training. You know, you don't do your basic training and then you stop. It's ongoing, it's continuous so that you are razor sharp when it matters. But secondly, as you said, the newer consultants can learn so much from their more experienced colleagues that that sounds like a great opportunity for that to happen. And and to be honest with you, in the whole time that we've been running those sessions, I honestly cannot remember a session where people didn't attend. Fair enough. Okay. That that were experienced. And I think it's I think it is that sharing environment that is enjoyable for everybody too. Absolutely. So one of the themes that's emerging today is the value of having a mentor. And if you'd be interested to explore a mentoring relationship with me, then I would like to invite you to apply for a free 30-minute strategy session. This consultation is exclusively for recruitment business owners and directors who want to increase their net fee income and grow their business. What will happen is I'll give your business a complete health check and identify a minimum of three specific strategies that will help you to make more placements and improve your profitability. Since 2001, I've helped many recruiters to double or even triple their billings and managers and business owners to increase sales by 67% in 90 days. Could I help you to achieve similar results? Honestly, I don't know yet. I'll need to find out more about your business first. What I can promise is you'll leave the session feeling renewed, re-energized, and inspired to take your business to the next level. To request your free strategy session, go to www.recruitmentcoach.com forward slash breakthrough. That's recruitmentcoach.com forward slash breakthrough. I like the sound of how thorough your learning development program is. You're doing a lot. It sounds like you're doing a fantastic job there. Can I just go back to your hiring process? Because you mentioned the kinds of things you're looking for, which were someone who's a high performer in some aspects, not necessarily in business, but and and having demonstrated that in some way, shape or form, empathy, team orientation, intellect, verbal skills. How do you assess those things? We have a two-stage interview process, but between the interviews, we do some behavioral profiling. And uh, whilst that's not make or break, there are a couple of areas that would be very hard to um, compromise on. So one of them is that verbal skill. The other is attitude, so how positive and enthusiastic they are essentially. If, if we're in the past where we've thought, oh, maybe it'll be okay, no, didn't work out. So, <laughs> you know, so we've learned from experience as well as to what does work and what we, we don't compromise on from that perspective. In terms of hiring, if they're an experienced recruiter, it's a little bit different. Uh, we look at things like what they have built, how much of that business was developed by them or handed to them, temp versus perm split, how much of the business was in one or two clients or was it spread over 10 to 15 different clients how many of those clients would follow them in six months' time when their restraint is up, all those sorts of things. If they're a new recruiter, so someone that we're training from scratch, essentially we we do an interview process, but we also get them to do a couple of tasks. 
So uh, one of them is to present one of our salary reports back to us to generate a bit of a conversation about hiring. It sounds a bit tricky, but it's a very good, very good exercise to do. And um, the second one is to think of questions that they may ask a, a client if they were picking up a job, what information would they need to actually recruit that role successfully. So it's quite, it's quite challenging yes. for someone that you know, hasn't worked in recruitment before. But uh, like we say to anyone that's coming into interview, it's, it's not whether you get the facts and figures right from our report, it's whether you give it a go and can engage us in a conversation that builds confidence and makes us want to work with you. I think that's so important, you know, to actually role play during the interview process and just get a preview of, you know, how they come across and, and just also their willingness to embrace the, uh, the challenge and, and go for it. You know, it's that is is probably even more important than their actual performance on the on the task, because it's all about attitude. Again, you you mentioned that, which is probably the most important factor in someone being successful. Which leads me to you have a very interesting background because, and you mentioned you look for people who have been high performers in some aspect, whether it's uh, you know sport or or whatever. And you're the first recruiter I've met who started out as a professional ballerina with the Australian Ballet. Yeah, that's, that's fascinating. Right. How did you transition from being a ballerina to a role in as a leader in recruitment? And how has your career in recruitment been influenced by that training? <laughs> yeah, sure. It's it's been a big journey. So I I danced with the Australian Ballet and the West Australian Ballet on and off for for seven years. So um, for various seasons, and then uh, basically I was pretty burnt out, to be honest, Mark. Um, but I still loved it, but I, I think I needed a bit of a new challenge. So I went and travelled the world uh, working with Emirates for a couple of years, so saw some amazing places and then came back and I thought, look, you know, I want to start developing myself into a career that I see long-term and registered for temp work and they hired me permanently that day within the hour. So I, I started off in their training division. This is for a big multinational and then uh, moved to, I, I saw what the recruiters were doing across the floor and I said, I want to have a go at that. I'd love to, to have a go. So uh, we organized that and, and then off we went. So I think uh, in answer to your question, the, the aspects that are relatable are firstly the drive and the discipline that you have to have. You know, to be a professional ballerina, you have to, you know, there are thousands, possibly millions of young girls who have, uh, I'll just say thousands maybe, that have that dream of maybe being a ballerina one day. <laughs> so, you know, and you sort of, you, you through the years, you're auditioning every year for various things and uh, and then you, you end up as, as one of 15 that get to go through the Australian Ballet School and, and into the company. Uh, you might be one of two or if you're lucky if they're hiring anyone that year. So it's pretty competitive. So the competitive element definitely comes across. But I think the more important elements are things like teamwork, things like empathy. You know, you really feel every movement and every story when you're a professional dancer. So the empathy is so important in recruitment, being able to understand people's motivations and what's important to them and in their life. And obviously the discipline too helps. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> in a recruitment setting. Yeah. My is it my daughter, like many young people, uh, did ballet for for quite a few years actually she eventually stopped dancing i think when she was 12 um and she was training about i don't know five hours a week at that stage and 
as you go on, I'm, I don't need to tell you, it gets more and more demanding, more intense, more hours of training, more discipline required. And that's when she, her interest uh, wasn't sufficient to, to get her through that next phase, I guess. But, uh, but you know, it's still, it's still valuable, I think, to, to do these sorts of things. But you really took it all the way. It's, it's good to have a balance though, Mark. I think that's the, the thing that I 100% love about my life now. You know, love dancing and love performing, but it's, it's all consuming. You know, it's every day, it's 24-7. So it's really nice to have that balance now. Okay. It's funny that you regard recruiting as being more balanced than, <laughs> I guess, compared to being a professional ballerina, but uh, still pretty intense. <laughs> Mark, I have t- I have twin boys who are nearly two. Oh, amazing! So I love being busy. Yeah, I, I'm not sure what's been harder the the ballet career, the recruitment career, or raising twin boys. Mm, that's a tough call for sure. <laughs> or juggling a combination of those things. Excellent. Yeah, I understand you've mentored a lot of other leaders. In fact, I've heard Greg say that your success as a leader should be measured by how many other leaders you've created. And I think you've been involved in a mentoring program with the RCSA. Can you tell me a bit about that? The RCSA runs a program, it's called the Pearl Program. And I was first involved with that, I think six or seven years ago when it first launched. And I was lucky enough to be mentored by Pam Ju, who was the CEO of Bayside Group, which is a big recruitment company here. And then, of course, I've gone on to be very lucky to be mentored by Greg Savage and by Mark Smith as well, who's the group CEO of our business. Uh, I believe you might be talking to him soon, Mark. Yes, I'm interviewing him shortly for the podcast as well. So I'm looking forward to that. So, you know, knowing that I, I had s- such strong mentors in my own career, I wanted to be able to give back to other people. And I think you start out with that intent of giving back and, and giving your time to help people. And then you very quickly realize that actually as a mentor, you might even be learning more than the mentee. I think it's a great experience for both the mentee and the mentor. Um, you can learn so much both ways. And it's just a nice feeling to be able to pass that knowledge on and help to grow the next generation of leaders that are coming through the industry. Fantastic. That's really cool. And speaking of mentoring, that reminded me that you mentioned you have a mentoring program at People to People. How does that work? Yeah, so it's uh, it's relatively informal and it's driven by the staff members. So if someone is wanting to be mentored, the only thing that we ask in return is that they offer to mentor somebody else okay. in the business. So if they're a second-year consultant, let's say, and they want to be mentored by a senior recruiter, they would need to offer to mentor perhaps a new recruiter coming into the business and share their knowledge. Basically, they would approach the staff member and ask, would you be my mentor? And then the commitment is basically once a month to sit down, ideally by Skype or FaceTime, and they drive it. So they uh, have a series of questions that they'll ask uh, for each session that might pertain to what's happening on their desk or particular topics they're interested in. And they will essentially interview their mentor um, and, and ask for their help on certain things once a month. That's a terrific idea. It's so funny because whatever success, and, and I, I won't say I was a hugely successful recruiter, but I did enjoy a level of success. And I can attribute that entirely to having mentors, finding people. 
And those relationships were often informal. And in fact, you know, kind of the 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 birth of this podcast was that I've always interviewed people to try and capture their knowledge and see how, what I can learn. So I've always sought out mentors, people that I respected or that I thought I could learn from and asked if I could interview them, maybe over a coffee or what have you. So at this stage, you know, fast forward 20 years, I've either worked with and trained or coached or been mentored by 10,000 recruiters in 34 countries. And just that exchange of ideas is is so valuable to glean the insights of other people. So I'm always, and I, I believe that no matter how experienced someone is, I'm sure that I can teach them something and I'm equally sure that I can learn something from them. So I just love that process, the interviewing of someone who's got knowledge that you want. And that's why I'm talking to you today for the same reason. Oh, thank you. Yeah. I can relate to that, Mark, because there's so many great books out there as well that, um, you know, I know were part of my early career in terms of reading. And uh, I think, you know, if you want to be successful, you do have to invest in your development and and it doesn't doesn't just stop after a few years. Um, And that's, they're the people that we see in our businesses, the most successful, those that love learning, that love growing and, you know, want to take on new challenges and they find themselves on a very successful desk or on a very successful career path. Mm, interesting. So I understand in addition to being a leader in people to people, you also are a CEO of another company called Infront Sports Consulting. I guess my first question is, what is that all about? And secondly, how do you juggle both those things? Yeah, so Infront Sports is a business that sits under people to people. So it is a, it is a brand of people to people. It's quite seasonal because we work with the major sports here in Australia, cricket being, uh, I guess, our biggest client. And then um, we've got football as in soccer uh, and uh, um, a little bit of AFL on the coaches side as well. So that business is all about assisting professional athletes who are transitioning from sport but it starts at a rookie level. So um, we're very fortunate to be able to help athletes prepare for the next stage of their career. And I guess that for me stemmed from a passion of leaving professional ballet and knowing how tough it was to transition from doing that 24-7 to then finding something else that you're really passionate about. And we wanted to provide that support to athletes as they were transitioning. So it's things like CV preparation, interview preparation, work experience, career counselling, career planning as well. That is fascinating. I've never heard of this before. Is this an original idea? I, I can't believe I've never come across this in, in my entire life. <laughs> it's definitely quite niche and uh, we're definitely one of the biggest providers for it in Australia. But having said that, it's quite a small business, the Infront Sports business, because it's a, a very small group of, I guess, clients that you work with. It's, it's the major sports and the major sports that can actually fund it really. So I think it does happen all over the world. I've, I've had people connect with me from um, from the States and not so much from the UK, but I know that there's, there's definitely uh, other companies that do sort of focus in this area as well. So how does that, how, how do you get paid for that? Is it the sports organizations themselves that fund your assistance of the athletes or do you actually place those athletes in jobs once they're finished their professional career? 
So it's all on the, I guess, the candidate advocacy side. So it is funded through the sport. So the sporting bodies um, typically have a, a player association that uh, looks after player welfare and, and payments and, and all that sort of thing. So uh, typically the player associations will have some funding set aside depending on how big the sport is, how, how many TV rights they have and how big the deals are. Wow, that's so cool. Do you ever get your athletes to come in and speak for the People to People team? Uh, we haven't had any come in and speak and I think that's because we're very conscious that they always get asked to present and speak. We probably should have some sort of crossway there, Mark. We, we haven't really done it. But one of the things we do love about the business is we often white label a lot of the work that we do. So we might manage the program and manage, you know, for example, the work experience placements and the work. And whilst the athletes know uh, that it's in front sports, Publicly, we like the sports themselves to be able to own the programs. So it's not going to be the in-front sports program. You'll hear it as the Australian Cricketers Association work placement program or beyond the boundary program. And we really love that because we're in it to help the players and not for the accolades and, and the recognition. Absolutely. Absolutely. Wow, that's really cool. I've never thought of that before that's interesting <laughs> you i know are passionate about leveraging success in the recruitment industry both on an individual and a company level to give back and support causes and i know you guys are having horrific bushfires at the moment that everyone i mean that's on the news globally uh, which it just looks awful what how have you been able to do that to leverage the business into the more community uh, and, and charities and so on? So it's definitely something we'd like to do even more of. Um, there's some amazing recruitment businesses in Australia that are um, very embedded in that way. For example, you know, the bushfires, have, as you say, have been incredibly devastating and um, it's been amazing seeing Australians come together and be so ready to to help and and donate and and donate goods and and money and so um, I guess we wanted to be a part of that so we've done what we can from a financial perspective but also just finding ways to get our team involved in any um, charities that we can through our business so it's nothing grand and and spectacular but um, we just like to try and promote through awareness for various causes and just simple things like holding little morning teas or going and doing a fun run together as a team and, and fundraising for that. Um, there's a great bushfire relief appeal that the RCSA have recently set up um, uh, under Charles Cameron, Recruiters for Relief. So just being able to contribute to that and to promote it as well has been, yeah, nice to be in a position to do that, I guess. Oh, that's cool. Uh, if you can send me that link, I'll put it in the show notes to this episode, you know, just in case it, it helps. That's interesting. Do you guys have a corporate social responsibility policy or, or something formal? I don't think we have formalized it, Mark, to be honest. Uh, I think it's been something that's been driven from an employee level and then through um, some very passionate managers as well. So 
uh, it's been quite organic, which is nice because I think, you know, sometimes you do a corporate social responsibility strategy and it's very deliberate and commercial. And uh, I think for us, what we try and do is take notice of what the values are of our employees and what's important to them and then actually amplify that and try and pay attention and get involved in things that are important to them. You know, I guess a good example beyond the charity and community aspect is, you know, we know that environmental sustainability is really important to our team. And so we just make sure that we aren't hypocritical with that and that we are actually pushing initiatives that are going to be more environmentally sustainable. And it's just simple things around the office, you know, encouraging people to take keep cups with them if they're getting a coffee, making sure recycling is happening and it's available for people, you know, just just simple things like that, which can be forgotten if you're very busy. Absolutely. Cool. Well, that's another thing from Daniel Pink's book is meaning and people feeling like their job actually has meaning is is important, is valuable. And the more people can connect their work to some kind of purpose or or being important, then the more motivated they're going to be about it. So it sounds like you're really touching on that in so many different ways at People to People. One more thing I wanted to circle back to that you mentioned right at the very beginning is that one of the keys to success has been technology. Could you maybe elaborate on how you've leveraged technology in order to accelerate the growth of, of the business? Oh, absolutely. And this is a topic you'll you'll definitely want to dig into with, with Mark Smith when you meet him. But that was one of the things that attracted me to the people-to-people business in the first place was the amazing technology and innovation. So um, Mark's leadership is such that if there's new technology out in the marketplace, we'll have a go. You know, we're at a beautiful size with our organisation. We've got 110 staff and eight offices. And with that size, and we're 100% Australian and New Zealand owned. So with that size, we can make decisions quickly and implement things straight away. Uh, there's no sort of layers of corporate decision making. We can say, oh, that looks good. Let's let's give it a go. We've had chatbots and, and robots operating on our website for quite some time now. And so that, you know, that's the AI aspect there. We've got various technology that actually um, will send us job leads a lot of automatic workflows, life cycles with our marketing campaigns to engage and initiate contact, and a lot of customization on our system to make it work better for our teams. So basically, if someone in our team asks for something to make their life easier or faster, almost every time it can be done. Wow, that's amazing. I like that. Yes, we're always thinking about it. We're always thinking about what's next. And because we've been so receptive in the past to companies that have approached us around technology, we get approached more and more often. Um, so, you know, it'll be that little email in your inbox that, that some people might not see or, um, you know, it goes, it gets swept into a, a pile. But inevitably, at people to people, it'll get picked up and we go, oh, this is a quirky new bit of technology what tell us more about it okay let's have a go and see what it can do for us so that's a huge part of our marketing life cycle and our efficiencies around systems absolutely wow that's cool i mean i will be sure to dive deeper into this with mark to talk about your marketing and your technology thank you so much for your time today it's been really fantastic to talk to you thank you so much for having me oh absolute pleasure and I will make sure that your people-to-people contact information is uh, is on the website. But if 
anyone is inspired by the things that you've talked about today and wanted to reach out to you, what's the best way for them to do that? Oh, they can absolutely reach out to me on social media. So they can contact me on my LinkedIn page, which is um, the usual page with Erin uh, Devlin on the end, or they can find me on Twitter or Instagram. So Twitter, uh, Peter P, Erin D, or Instagram, Erin underscore Devlin underscore. All right. Fantastic. Thanks, Mark. Thank you for listening to The Resilient Recruiter. Be sure to check out the full show notes at recruitmentcoach.com forward slash podcast. And please consider subscribing so that you receive every new episode directly to your phone. Thanks for listening and see you next time. Thank you.